Good morning. It's uh, truly wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be cold. <laughs> I left 42 degrees at home. So Vana and I will... Uh, <laughs> I might need an occasional cuddle just to keep me going this morning. Um, but it really is wonderful to be here. It's a privilege. Like I said before, um, we were a part of this community for... A number of years, I think, uh, 10 or 11 years, and um, then we moved to Africa, not with any great vision, not to do any great work. Um, as I travel and speak, often people introduce me as a great man of God, and, and I, I, I appreciate the honor. I, I believe we are to honor one another, but I don't believe there's any such thing. I think there's just broken men and women who God in his grace, being a great God, choose to use us significantly. And um, so we moved to South Africa just because that's where Jesus was for us. And uh, Jesus is still here for each one of you. It's not like Jesus left with us. Yay! <laughs> and if we all moved to South Africa, that would just be silly. But we went there because that's where he is for us. And um, it's been our joy to be there. I'd love to introduce my family to you, uh, because along the way we went from no kids to five kids in 16 months. Um, supernatural pregnancy does exist, I can tell you. <laughs> we're, we, we're here praying, God, give us more. And he takes us to South Africa and gives us five kids because then he knew we would need more. <laughs> and all the parents said amen. <laughs> I think everybody thinks they're a good person until they become a parent. But if you, can, if you can throw up that photo, I hope you can see more than teeth. You can. Your resolution is good. This is Sinelli. Uh, he's our eldest son. He's 15 years old. Um, if you can go to the next one, there's another one of him. Uh, this is another picture of him. Um, Sinelli, I, I don't want to tell you their stories because they're not mine to tell. Um, his story is his story. And, and I, don't, I, I never want to take what should be coming out of his mouth. Um, and so or whatever I share are things that the boys have, have blessed me to share. Um, but Sinelli came to us and he'd walked through some incredibly difficult things. And um, his, his heart was... You can only smack a heart with a hammer so many times before the heart just decides to retreat altogether. Um, and that's where his heart was at. And, and um, you know, very early on, the Lord whispered into my heart, don't put, one bit of, don't put one put of expectation on him for how he will perform. Just love him. And he had performance down pat. He could perform for you, but he held his heart at a distance. And, and for us, that carried no currency. We didn't want that. And, and so he was suddenly, the, the rock that he was standing on in performance was suddenly just gone. But what we've got to watch is the wonder of our faithful father just one day at a little bit of hope and a little bit of grace and a little bit of love and the next day a little bit more and 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 a little bit more. And, little bit more. and it's so gradual that sometimes you miss it. But um, when I look at him, what I see is the faithfulness of our Father and our King. And uh, Sinelli now, uh, actually let me read it to you. Excuse me, Danny. Can't read it to you because I, I don't find it. But Sinelli's had a number of fathers in his life. Um, not fathers, but a number of men. And, and he, he wrote me a letter for my birthday. And in it he said to me, thank you. Uh, of all the fathers I've ever had, you're the only one that loves me. And um, for him to be able to say that is a, is a complete miracle. So I love that boy to pieces. Um, he's growing up. Please pray for me. He's going to be huge. 
it's not going to be too long before I'm going to be like, don't you speak to me like that. <laughs> Next photo. Oh, this is Walter. <laughs> that describes his personality quite uh, adequately. And he's sitting in a wheelbarrow, which is what we um, use as outdoor furniture. Um, actually, what's the problem with the roof? It's leaky. I don't know what your problem is. You've got one. <laughs> You're sitting on chairs. Thank you, Jesus. Um, this is Walter. And uh, he's such a unique uh, child. He can do anything physically, anything at all. Uh, he can run and flip and jump. And, and with him, uh, you know, we have these boxes of humanity that we want to put people in. <laughs> you know, become self-sufficient. Get a good job and earn an income. Pass your exams. None of which are bad. They can be really, really good if that's what the presence of God is ushering you into. If there's any kids at school, don't you dare go home and tell your parents that Johnny said you don't have to pass your exams because God's not ushering you into the presence. But we have these, these, we have these boxes that we love to put people in. He just doesn't fit in a box. And um, it's been so special for the Lord to teach us how to just love him well um, and to bless who he is in Christ even though it looks dramatically different to who I am in Christ. Um, next photo, I think there's another one of him that's a little more pleasant. That's Walter, um, standing by, in front of a beautiful African tree. Uh, so he's our middle son. He's uh, 13 years old, so now he's 15. Next slide. This is Swinky. Um, Swinky, when, when we first uh, received a child, we received Zakai. So Zakai is our youngest child, but uh, he was our firstborn, if that makes sense. He's only three. And um, we had Zakai, and then Sinelli and Walter, the two eldest, came to us. And because we had Zakai from, he was three months when he came to us, we had this beautiful physical love relationship with Zakai. But Sinelli and Walter had never had that, ever. And they would see us loving Zakai, and their hearts were crying out for it. But because they had no familiarity in it, it was too uncomfortable for them to enter it. And we kept trying to give them opportunities and kept trying to, you know, I'd hug them whenever I could. But, you know, you don't want to cross, cross a line that they haven't allowed you to walk in. And um, I remember praying, going, God, I want them to know your father heart. You know, Scripture says, do not be called Father, for there is one in heaven who is your Father. And my cry for my sons was, God, I want them to know your heart. I don't want to be Father. I want you to be Father. But, but I want them to know who you are through me. And I've got a long way to go in learning that. But, but I want them to have that, God. And then we got a phone call about Swinky. And now Swinky came into our home and he had been loved. He had been raised with a mama who loved him. And he knew the currency of love. And he came into our home and he, he watched how we were with Zakai. And it took him about two minutes to run into our arms. And all of a sudden, Sonali and Walter looked at him and went, we can do that, and boom, they were in our arms. And this is the wonder. I was praying, God, how do I do it? And God said, I'm going to bring you a 10-year-old kid. Because <laughs> so often we place pressure on ourselves because we believe that we are in the position that demands the pressure, and we don't have the humility to understand that God wants to do it, not through me, but through a 10-year-old child. And so Swinky is just a phenomenal gift. I think there's one more photo of him as well. Um, he, uh, that's what we got him for Christmas. You think I'm joking. <laughs> uh, and he's just been such a gift to our family. Uh, he sleeps in the, in the bedroom with the two little boys. And uh, the other morning they woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I didn't know until quarter to seven. 
because he played with them. Thank you, Jesus. And he changed their pooey nappies. Thank you doubly, Jesus. Uh, but he's just a remarkable young man who we're so grateful for. Next slide. Uh, this is Zion. Zion is three. Uh, and we got a phone call about Zion. He was the last guy to come to us. So we already had four kids. We were the directors of a, of a children's home. Um, I don't like saying orphanage because when you say orphanage, you actually repeat the very spirit that you're trying to see broken. So please don't ever call something an orphanage. Um, if you're going to call a place where children are that need to be fathered an orphanage, then you need to call this place an orphanage because it's the same thing. So we were the directors of a children's home and... Uh, <laughs> I was so done. Um, I'm sure many of you can relate when you get to the end of yourself and then you walk for another two years without anything changing. And, and every day, you just don't, you don't, you don't have anything. You don't have anything to give. You don't have any faith left. You still have faith in God, but you don't have any faith to apply to circumstances because you've applied everything you had to apply and nothing's changed. And I was so done, I was so tired, and I got a phone call from a social worker saying, hey, can you take another child? And um, they said, he's three, and gave me the information, and Bex was there, and I got off the phone, and she said, what did the social worker want? And I told her, and, and I looked at her, and I just started to weep, because I wanted to say yes, but I couldn't say yes. I, I'm more familiar with my brokenness than I am with my authority in Christ. But it's the familiarity and the comfort and the brokenness that allows the authority of Christ to flow through my life. And I was in that broken place. And <laughs> tell Bex about it. And I look at her, I've got tears streaming down my face because I know there's a kid that's got nowhere to go. And um, she's, I just said, oh, I, don't, I don't think I can do it, darling. Look, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so ugly. More pressure is just going to make more ugliness. And... Uh, she looked at me and she said, well, should we pray about it? And I said, no! <laughs> Why would we pray about it? God might say yes, and we did pray about it, and God did say yes. And by his grace, you know, I love the prayer, uh, help me in my unbelief. I'm so familiar with that. I want to believe, but, but help me in my unbelief. And in my unbelief and his faithfulness, he gave me grace to say yes. And I'm so grateful, because uh, I love that precious little boy, and he's been a phenomenal gift to our family as well. Uh, next slide. That's him as well. Uh, he's just joy, joy, joy. Uh, uh, so much life. Please bless Bex, Lord, right now. And this is Zakai, uh, our youngest. This is a photo taken a wee while ago. Uh, next slide. Um, Zakai is the fruit in our lives of the way I treated my mother when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I apologize to Bex all the time because his, his spirit is larger than life. You know, it's funny that God put Zakai and Zion together because I can see Zakai preaching to millions and God being very pleased with it. And I can see Zion uh, in a prayer closet ministering to the presence of the Lord and I can see God being very pleased with it. They are so opposite. Governance in the body of Christ will, it will very infrequently define output. What it will do is it will bring definition to the input. 
there's this thing in the body of Christ where we take a principle of God and we attach the flesh to it and we exercise the flesh to get what we think should happen from the principle of God. Control in the body of Christ will always tell you what it's supposed to look like. Control will say, we should be evangelizing. Control will say, and when you evangelize, here are the five steps to evangelize to a person so they don't feel uncomfortable and you get to tick the box. And you can come back and tell us that somebody got saved. Every time I hear someone say 10 people got saved, I'm like, how do you know? I mean, seriously, how do you know? Do you dare sit down on the throne of the king and declare them saved? That's not my place. I can say I felt called to go somewhere and minister to someone, and in that they made a commitment, and I hope it was real, but I can't see their heart because God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outer. Say, you don't know if I'm saved. How do you know if I'm going to be the one that stands before him? And he says, and, and I say to him, but I, I, I rescued kids in Africa, and I, I turned my life upside down. And he says to me, be gone, I never knew you. How do you know? You don't. You might in intimacy be able to dwell with me and think, but the only one that can judge that is him. And so what the institution of the church does is it sets up these things to gain a result so we can pat ourselves on the back and we think we've done the good thing. But true governance in the body of Christ, it will affect the inputs. And then it will give you absolute freedom as to what it looks like for Christ to flow out of your life. And that's the wonder of the body. That's what these guys and the elders are called to do. It's not control. Control and governance are different. But there has to be governance. Because if there's no governance, we're not safe with each other. We are here to contend for the standard of Christ. Amen. Um, so yeah, that's Sakai. Uh, and we love him very, very dearly. I got a message from Bex this morning. Uh, <laughs> she said, would you mind if by the time we got back, by the time you got back, we had sex? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't replied yet. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Um, I give thanks to my wife. Uh, next photo. This is my wife, for those of you that don't know her. Um, she is by far, apart from himself, uh, the Lord's greatest gift to me. And um, it's very special having her mama here. And uh, for those of you who are married or want to be married, um, I would encourage you to contend for what it looks like that the only obligation on your marriage is to encourage and steward each other into the presence of the Lord. There is no obligation here. None. He says to me, love me, Johnny, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So if I do that, how much of my heart, mind, soul, strength do I have to love her? None. It's pretty easy maths. All leaves nothing. But as I love him with all that I am, he puts himself in me, Christ in me, as the nature of husband unto the church, that I will pour myself out for her, not because of obligation to her, but because of intimacy with him. And therefore, it's a free gift, freely given and freely received. And that's why I'm here. I'm here because she, when we were invited to come, and we, our prayer and our hope was that I was going to bring out, we were going to bring our whole family. That's what I was wanting to do. And, and God didn't do it, and that's okay. But, but she looked at me and she said, I think you need to go and there's grace to go. I bless you to go. And I'm here seeing all of you and the people that she loves and her family. And, and, and she's back there looking after five kids. But she doesn't place obligation here. Her, her obligation is unto him. 
And uh, so, so she's just phenomenal. I think there's one more picture of her as well, uh, with a Zion. Um, just, uh, oh, I just give thanks for her. She's incredible. Um, so that's my family. Uh, and next time I come back, I'm sure there'll be more photos. For those of you who want to know what we're up to, uh, there's some of these cards uh, on the back table. Uh, we were with Iris Ministries for about three and a half years and had an amazing time learned a heck of a lot. For those of you that know um, Heidi and Roland Baker, um, they are a gift to the body of Christ. What the Lord has put in them and in Iris is a, an absolute yieldedness to the Spirit of God. To, to say, stay so open to Holy Spirit changing anything at any time. And uh, we learnt a lot from that because we've come from a Western world where we value control. That's how control gets in the church. Our whole society values control. And when control is not there, we freak out and scream. The electricity went off. Ah! You guys lost electricity for how long was it? With the storm recently? It's like a couple of days or something? Was that right? We a while ago. Okay. Oh, anyway, I remember Wellington lost some power. And I'm looking at all the Facebook updates and I'm just laughing. <laughs> like it's, it's different where I live. But we, we struggle because we've lost electricity and, and we don't have control over our life. You know, oh my goodness, I can't cook. It's inconvenient. I've lost control and it feels uncomfortable. And God has just taken us on this journey where with the, the, the gift and the nature of, and the DNA of Iris, he's just established that control. Uh, which has been really, really special. So we're so grateful to uh, to them and uh, to our, our local leaders on the ground for the journey that we've walked. Um, we felt like God called us out of that um, because our DNA is slightly different. Not right or wrong, but different. Um, and we feel to build a children's home, a school, and a hospital. We don't want to build an institution. Uh, we want an extension of family. Um, it's not because of the need. God is not attracted by need. I think Bill Johnson talks about it, and he says, if God was attracted by need, then the most needy planet on the earth, the most poverty-stricken place tomorrow would be flowing with abundance. It's not need that attracts the Lord. Does he see it? Yes. Does he hurt over it? Yes. But need doesn't attract the Lord, and we don't want to start a children's home because there's great need. There is great need, but... I'm not enough for that. We, we want to start one because we believe that that's what he's inviting us to, that as we walk it out, listen, the poor are the test of the gospel. If you want to test the kingdom that you carry, take it to the poor. I don't mean the, um, I'm not just talking about kids in Africa. I'm talking about the poor everywhere. <laughs> if you believe you carry the joy of the Lord, don't just come and hang out with me all the time because for the most part I'm a pretty happy person. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to someone who is under the oppression of depression. Go to them. Share the kingdom. And if they want to partake of it, see if the kingdom within you overcomes. Because if it doesn't, you don't have the real kingdom of joy. You have an imitation. And I believe the Lord is asking us to do something that (laughs) we have nothing to hang on to apart from him. So that Christ here... What is false, what we believe to be true but is not true, gets culled out, and the real Christ within us is released. So that's why we're doing it. And it's so fun because it means we can build with such courage. We can say it's a school, a hospital, a children's home because that's what we think he's asking us to build. It's going to cost us about a million US dollars, so if anybody wants to help out, thanks. (laughs) 20 bucks is great. (laughs) When we moved to Africa, 
I walked into a service here and we needed $25,000 to go. And the Lord said to us, you're going in four weeks. And we had nothing. And we said to the Lord, do we tell people we're going? And God said, yes. And, and we said, do we ask for money? And God said, no. And it was fine. It's right to ask. It's right not to ask. Just depends what he's doing. And uh, so we said, do we tell people we're going? He said, yes. We started telling people we're going. Everybody thought, because we said we were going, that we already had the money to go. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. We need $25,000. And everyone thinks we have the money already. But just stay in him, stay in him, stay in him. And I walked into a service. And someone was standing just about here. And that person found a 10-cent piece on the ground. And he flicked it into the air, and it spiraled up, and it nearly hit the roof. And I caught it somewhere over there. And as I caught it, he said to me, this is for your Africa fund. 10 cents. Do you know what the Lord said to me? Give thanks for it, and it'll multiply. Pride, and in that moment, I caught it, and he said, give thanks, and it will multiply. Pride and arrogance wants to go, 10 cents, I need $25,000. What's 10 cents? That same person, younger than me, put 10,000 New Zealand dollars into our bank account two weeks later. Didn't say a word to him. Didn't say a word. So it's, 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 it's not about... Let me just lay a platform for what I actually want to talk to you about this morning. What time do you finish? Whenever. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you have a roof. You have chairs. Our services go for hours, so I can go all day. <laughs> um, as I travel and, and encounter more and more communities who love him, there's communities that, that there becomes two very distinct groups. One is a group that want more. The other is a group that don't really want more. They're actually consumed with stewarding what God has done in the past, Think of it like a river in riverbanks. God pours out his spirit and he does something. Our response to that is to build riverbanks. It's right. It's good. We need to do that. But what happens is then instead of crying out for a greater river, we spend all our time caring for the riverbanks and we actually lose the desire for more of him. And particularly it happens from generation to generation is that the second generation end up just cutting the grass of the riverbank that the hunger of the first generation called forth. Does that make sense? So when you, when you see communities that are asking for more, it's like, well, more of what? Because you can be hungry for many things, even if you say, I'm walking with God and I want more of God. And what I've discovered is that, once again, there's two distinct camps. You get a hunger for either the principles of God or you get a hunger for the person of God. One of the two. The problem is that if you have a hunger for the principles of God, they don't always lead you to the person of God. The person of Christ will always lead you to his principles. But what we do in the West, in generalization, forgive me if this church and others aren't a part of it, but I've told you it's a generalization, so it's okay. What we do is because we value control, the church in the West spends a whole lot of time teaching the principles that the life of Christ established without ever really encountering the person. And here is the problem. The person of Christ will deliberately take you outside the principles. I'm not talking about sin. Jesus ministers to a Samaritan woman at the well, uh, which was unusual, offensive. She was Samaritan and a woman. He then gathers his disciples to send them out to minister. And what does he say? Don't minister to the Samaritans and don't minister to the Gentiles. So you watched me do it, 
but don't do it yourself. A few days later, they're walking through a Samaritan town, and he goes and he ministers. The woman that comes to him and says, can you help my, I think it was a daughter, and he says, it's not good to take the bread on the table and, and, and give it to the dogs. And she says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. And he says, because of your faith, your child is healed. Go. That woman was a Gentile woman. Jesus ministers to a Samaritan, sets the principle, don't minister to Samaritans and Gentiles, and then again in front of the disciples, ministers to a Gentile. (laughs) So if they were following the principle, they wouldn't even been with Jesus as he ministered because they would have left because they were principle-driven. Make sense? Um, Let me give you a practical example. Um, the, the, The life of Christ in principle has established the principle of generosity. We are to be generous. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Okay, we're to be generous people. What we do is we take the principle of generosity and we yield it to our mind as to when we will be generous and when we won't. The problem is that if I follow the person of generosity, I can't yield him to my mind. He wants authority. So I want to stay in the principle and decide when I will give and when I will not. What happens is if you follow the person, you're sitting in an offering and you say to the person, how much shall I give? And he says, give everything. And you go, ooh. That's hard. The principle-driven mind wants to go, but I've got a mortgage payment, but I've got kids, but I've got... Blah, blah, blah. He says, give everything. And you have to decide if you're going to follow the principle or the person. The principle, you can, wisdom, you can use your wisdom to, to, to wash that away and go, oh, no, I've got a mortgage payment, so I'll give 20 bucks. But the person wants everything. Conversely, you can be sitting in an offering, and you say to the person, how much do I give Jesus? How much would you have me give? And he says, nothing. I don't want you to give anything. And spiritual pride rears up because you know you have money in the account and you could give and you should give according to the principle, but the person is saying, don't give. You understand? So you've got principles and person. And I want to talk to you about one of the moments that I, uh, one of the things that as I observe throughout scripture and walking with people, one of the principles that the Lord will take you outside if you want to walk in intimacy with him. And it's this, the principle is intimacy, community, and closeness with the Lord. But the person of Christ will take you out to the broken space and to the lonely place. I want to talk to you about the purpose of the lonely place. Because if you're walking by principle, you will be unwilling to enter the lonely place because the principle is we should be in community with God and others. But there are times where Jesus takes you out of there. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. While you're turning there, um, I believe in talking privately, but I also believe when things have happened privately and, and not been resolved, we have to bring it public. And I heard something that concerned me greatly uh, oh, a few weeks ago on a podcast. Um, Greg, there's no country music in heaven. There just isn't. There isn't. You, you cannot have the screech of Satan <laughs> and the joy of Jesus in the same place. You can't. You cannot have the, well, the duets of the demonic and the glory of God in the same place. You can't, Greg. The wisdom of God, the power of God. They are a person. His name is Jesus, and he does not like country music. <laughs> Actually, Danny, just, just lay hands on him. Just everyone extend your hands. <laughs> I saw it leave. Right, Luke chapter 4. You alive? You okay? You awake? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit, uh, was led around by the Spirit 
in the wilderness. What makes the lonely place in the broken space so difficult to stay in when God leads us there is because in the flesh, loneliness and brokenness primarily come from rejection. When we encounter loneliness, it's because we've been rejected and when we f- in the flesh. And when we find ourselves in a lonely place with the Lord, what happens is we take the rejection that we've experienced in flesh and we apply it to him. And we want to get out of the lonely place as fast as we can because to us it feels like rejection. Rejection is one of the greatest enemies to intimacy with God because it denies the sacred voice that calls you loved. It denies the voice that says the presence of Jesus, I will be with you even until the end of time. And so when we feel rejected, what we're actually doing is denying the very voice and the very life that we are supposed to be sustained by. I remember um, being on an airplane a number of years ago, and uh, I sat down, and um, this really big guy came and sat down next to me, um, muscly big, just huge, like his arms were like two of my thighs. Have I told you this story? Okay. And um, he sits down, and I'm like, better make friends. <laughs> it's like a 17-hour flight. <laughs> I don't want to be your enemy. And so we start chatting, and we, you know, nice guy, and he tells me he's a security consultant somewhere in the Middle East. I can't remember where. It might, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, I, I can't remember. A uh, private security contractor. And I'm asked, so where are you going? And he's like, I'm flying to Venice Beach, which is the place in the States on the coast where everybody goes to work out. So he's got four weeks holiday, and he's going to work out on the beach. And I'm like, bro, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> you don't really need to work out anymore. Like, just, just take a holiday. Anyway, we chat and, you know, nice enough guy and have some dinner and fall asleep. And I'm, I'm sleeping and, and I have this dream that I'm lying in my bed in the morning and, and it was um, when we only had Zakai. So we only had one child at the time. Uh, and Bex is there. And yeah, we're chatting and Zakai's there and he's crawling around the bed and being all cute and you know how mornings go at five o'clock in the morning when you've got an early riser. And, and, I, and I'm dreaming and in the dream I'm, I just start rubbing Bex's leg because that's what you do in bed and I mean I love it. And in my dream I'm like, I'm really confused because I'm, I'm rubbing her leg and I can feel the seam like up her leg and I'm like, why is Bex wearing jeans in bed? And, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm confused in my dream, and I'm rubbing, and, and it, I'm so confused, I open my eyes, and I look down, and I am fondling the upper thigh of this guy's leg. And I was terrified. My first thought was, thank Jesus it's not a woman, because imagine explaining that one. I was having a dream. But I was terrified. Why? I mean, he could have kicked the everything out of me. But, but why was I terrified? Ultimately, because of something that I had done might cause me to be rejected by those that I was around. So I was terrified. That, that my behavior, even though I didn't intend to do it, I hope I didn't intend to do it. <laughs> I'm rubbing his thigh, and I, and I open my eyes, and my, hand, my, like my hand's here, like right up in his crotch, right? And I open my eyes, and I look at him. And I'm like, and I look up at his face, and I'm, I'm just praying, let him be asleep. And I look up at his face, and he's like, <sighs> and I realized the grace of God was that as he was dreaming, I was dreaming about my wife, he was dreaming about his as well. <laughs> uh. 
But think about it. You're in a scenario and you get that nervousness here. Why? I might be about to be rejected. (laughs) I'm just going to be really honest. Coming here for me is so much harder than going to the States. So much harder. Because we left four years ago and you knew who I was four years ago. You don't, it's not your fault, it's not my fault, it's just the nature of the walk we're on. But you don't really know who I am now. And this trip was one of the hardest for me to come on because what I had to grapple with was do I go back to who I was? Do I go to who was liked? To, ex- to get the acceptance of the people? Or do I just pour out who I am and ministry unto my king and just you can take it or leave it? So being here is both incredibly joyful and incredibly hard because I I don't know if you're going to accept or reject me. Now, I know there's great love. And so when I get past the fear, which is false evidence appearing real, when I get past the fear, I know that you'll accept me because you love me. And even even if I've gone backwards, I know you'll accept me and love me. But that's not necessarily how I emotionally experience it. And when the Lord takes us to a lonely place, our flesh fights tooth and nail to create everything else around us that we should be having from the principle. And we destroy the very environment that the Lord has taken with us to do something in us that Christ who dwells in us would become more free within us. The fullness of Christ already dwells within you. You don't need more. I remember being in Africa and crying out for more of him. And this was my prayer, give me more of you. And he said to me, you're praying the wrong thing. And I said, what do you mean? And he took me to Genesis where it says that the, the water used to come from within the earth to, to water the surface of the earth. Rain didn't come until the flood. In other words, water has to rise from within the earth to water the surface of the earth. That's the pre-sin model of refreshment. And the Lord started to teach me that it's not about praying for more of him to come. It's about praying, would more of you be released? So now when I worship, I kind of, I acknowledge Father and and God and and I acknowledge Christ and I understand that refreshment comes. That's, That's why you put your eyes on Father. Jesus, when he wanted to break the bread, he, it says he took the bread in his hands and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Broke into what he had, gave it away, it multiplied. Why did he set his eyes on Father? He was modeling something for us. Don't look at Christ within. If you look to Christ within, what you'll find is some free Christ and some bound up Christ because I bind him up and a whole lot of muck. And it's just kind of depressing to look within. But as I set my eyes on Father, the perfect purity of Father gives permission for Christ within to be released in ways that he's not and I come into more of Christ. Make sense? Set your eyes on the Father. Rejection. When we enter the lonely place, we have to know that we enter in approval, blessing, and favor. The environment screams everything other, but that's what we enter in. Uh, For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, verse 2b, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Um, Notice it says not he was hungry through the process. It says he became hungry at the end of the process. Um, I don't I don't know anything in my life. I'm sure there are other things. I've just not walked in them yet. But I don't know anything in my life that produces as a fruit hunger like the lonely place. You're not hungry while you're in the lonely place. You're, you're wrestling and you're ugly and it's hard. But 
when the time is done, when the season is done and the Lord in his grace pops you out, you find that one of the treasures of the kingdom that you have is just this hunger for him. And hunger is a sign of health. You know, if my two little guys aren't hungry, I know something's wrong. And it's, once again, it's a principle. So always seek the presence. But one of the principles in walking with God is if we're not hungry for more of him, we have to ask him the question, am I healthy? Am I healthy in you? I think Bill Johnson again says that that's where there's a division between flesh and spirit. In the kingdom of this world, to get hungry, you don't eat. But in the kingdom, to get hungry, you eat. The more you eat, the more hungry you become. The more you eat, the more hungry you become. But we we get into this problem because we say, I want to be hungry for God, so I'm going to read Scripture every single day. I want to be hungry for God, so I'm going to spend time in prayer and worship every day. I want to be hungry for God, so I'm going to give myself away every day. I want to be hungry for God. And we do all those things, and we suddenly realize that there were far too many eyes in the sentence. Hunger is a gift. True hunger is a gift from the hand and heart of Father into our lives because therefore when we walk in the fruit of the hunger, who gets the glory? He does. I'm more hungry for him. (laughs) This is what it's like. I've been walking through a dark, 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 dark tunnel. You know, in the past, when we encountered a difficulty, uh, the Lord would pick us up. It was so fun and fight. The Lord would pick us up and give us a bird's eye view of everything that was going on and how he was going to maneuver us through the situation to get to what he wanted to do. And that was great. That was fun. Do you know why? Because it allowed my pride to approve of the journey. (laughs) Yeah, I'm up for that, God. Let's go. (laughs) And then we got to Africa. And we're like, help! And 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 I'm waiting to be picked up and showing how he's going to do it. And he just grabs a spade and digs a hole and says, come underground with me, son. And I have no idea where we're going. I can't see. I can't approve the journey. I'm with the one who is the light, but it's really, really dark. And I'm walking through this tunnel. This is what the lonely place has been like. And it's dark, and all I have is the scent of my Jesus. And <laughs> I'm sure some of you have seen it on Facebook. You know that whole footprints thing? Where it's like you see two sets of footprints walking along the sand, and God's like, yeah, that's when I was walking with you. And you see one set of footprints, and God's like, yeah, that's where I carried you. And then you see this big, long line. And you're like, God, what's that? And he's like, well, that's where I dragged you. (laughs) In his grace, he dragged me through the tunnel. I can't can't tell you enough how much it's his grace. If it wasn't for his grace, I wouldn't be here. I'm deadly serious. I would have done something real really stupid I I might have left my wife and come to New Zealand I might have have killed myself I don't know I might have done a whole bunch of things if it wasn't for the grace of God and I'm walking through this dark tunnel and, and his grace is carrying me and then all of a sudden one day and I'll tell you about this in a bit one day something happened and light just started to pour from who he was and light started to pour from who I am And as the light went out into the tunnel, I looked around and the tunnel is full of kingdom treasure and there's jewels in the walls. And it's, and I look at my king in the eyes and I fall to my knees and I weep because the way I walked in the tunnel should have disqualified me from the treasure. It should have. I was so ugly. 
Just ask Bex. <laughs> She'll confirm that it's true. So ugly. And yet, he gives it, and one of the big treasures is this hunger for him. The problem with hunger being a gift is that we have to enter the position of humility because it's a gift that we don't deserve, and it's the position of humility that brings us hunger's reward. Um, you know in Ezekiel where um, uh, he fords the river, he crosses the river, and he goes to the river and it's water's up to the ankle, and it's, he goes a bit further, water's up to the knee, a bit further, water's up to the waist, and a bit further, a river that cannot be swum. You, you know that scripture, I forget, is it Ezekiel 32 or something? Anyone know? Somewhere in there. When we moved to South Africa, um, <laughs> I was in, I don't know, I don't want to say because I don't know, but I was in water. But I wanted more water. I wanted to be more carried. I wanted to be more in love with him. I wanted to be more consumed by who he is, and I wanted to walk more in his nature. And I had this picture of going deeper into the river. The Lord had given me that scripture. And we landed in September, and September is uh, sort of the end of winter. In South Africa, it's the same seasons as here. But in South Africa, in all of Africa, winter is the dry season, and uh, summer is the rainy season. So in summer, you get awesome thunderstorms. In winter, it just doesn't rain. And so in winter, all the streams run dry, the grass all dies, it becomes dusty and brown and hot. And we landed in September. And I landed to this environment that I thought was going to lead me into more water. And all it seemed to be doing was sucking the water that I had. And I remember crying out to the Lord one day and saying, God, you said that you were going to take me to the place where I am fully submerged in you. But I'm in the water and it feels like it's only knee deep. So we said... My son, you can be submerged in knee-deep water. Do you have the humility to lie down? No, I want you to make the river bigger so I can stay standing. My son, do you have the humility to lie down? See, the people that approached Christ with humility discovered something that many of us don't. There's story after story in here of people going and falling at his feet. Do you know why? Why the feet? Christ is the anointed one, yeah? You imagine I have a jar of anointing oil. And, and stand up, just because you're so wonderfully looking. Thank you. So kind. <laughs> and I pour it onto the anointed one. Where does it gather? Where is there going to be the greatest concentration of anointing? See, when people encountered Jesus often, they want to do this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you. You know, it says that the Pharisees came in, in Mark somewhere. <laughs> it says they came to Jesus. They traveled two days and 200 kilo, 100 kilometers. It took them two days walking to get to Jesus. It says they gathered around him in Mark. For those of you that want the reference, Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the scribes, verse 1, gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. It then goes on to say they'd observed some things and they started asking Jesus questions. They walked for two days, they gathered around him, and they asked him questions. Sounds like people that are seeking, doesn't it? Read what Jesus says about them. Why? Because they approached him here. The people that encounter the anointing of Christ fall at his feet. And do you know what he does? This is the test of humility. 
When you fall at his feet, he picks you up, he sits you down, he goes and gets a towel and a bucket, and he washes your feet. Because so many of us don't want our feet to be washed, because it's humbling. (laughs) Every day, moments throughout the day, I say, Lord, wash my feet. I'll fall at your 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 feet. Because that's the place where anointing is. Problem is, when you fall at his feet, you can't see. You don't know what's happening around you. You've lost control. Someone could come and bash you on the head because you're approaching the Christ and you won't know. And someone does come and bash you on the head and Jesus says, don't leave the anointing. (sighs) That's humility that brings us hunger's reward. The devil said to him, are you awake? You okay? If Jesus is like leaving for you, be free to totally leave. I won't be offended. (laughs) Like if Jesus is having a coffee for you down in Wellington, go and have a coffee. Devil said to him, if you are the son of God, let this stone to become bread. Um, do you feel like you know how Satan works? Do you feel like you have clarity on that? Because there's, there's a, a degree of perspective, you know, sometimes Satan is behind every corner, you know, you get a flat tire and it was Satan. Conversely, um, there's this thing of Satan was defeated at the cross and so... There's nothing he can do, and but then when something happens in my life, what, what's going on? I don't believe a good father, which he is, we sang about it, would bring struggle into my life just to teach me something. That's not a good father, that's a perverted father. A good father might allow struggle to come into my life, but it won't be from him. So as Africa's really spiritual, like intensely spiritual, like witch doctors putting curses on people that actually work spiritual. Um, The spiritual realm is so readily accepted in Africa. And, And what Satan does is, there's a scripture in Colossians, and it says, after Christ had triumphed over them, oh, sorry, let me read it. Yeah, Colossians 2, if you want to turn there. Okay, Colossians 2 verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, when Christ had disarmed Satan, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Do you know what that word disarmed means in Greek? What it means is to literally strip of every power, authority, and resource assigned to an individual's, um, assigned to a person. So if you were to disarm me, You would take all my money, you would take all my power, you would take everything I could do to hurt you, and you would leave me naked and bare. I would have nothing that I could leverage against you from my identity. The only way I could gain influence into your life is by pretending to be something or someone else, hope you buy into that, and therefore move in the power assigned to that thing. Does that make sense? Stay with me, stay with me. Um, And so what Satan does is for every truth in the kingdom, there's a counterfeit. What do you counterfeit? Do you counterfeit a 10 cent piece? No. You counterfeit a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill, yeah? You counterfeit something of value. So for everything in the kingdom, what Satan has done is he can't take it on. Look, it was never God and Satan. It was God, Archangel Michael, Satan. So often in our minds, we have this idea of this war playing out that's like this, but it just ain't like that. It's not how it works. But what Satan will do, I'll never forget listening to a message by Sam a number of years ago on a Sunday night where he talked about the Antichrist. 
And he talked about the one who is the Antichrist. It's not about one who tries to take on Christ. It's about one who, in deception, what it actually means is to set, try and set himself up in place of Christ and hope that you choose that. Thank you. That was a powerful word that blessed my life. Um, and so what Satan does is whenever he moves, he tries to take on a form. He tries to do something that is not, he's not leveraging power he has because he doesn't have it. He's trying to deceive us into walking into something that is not of God so we then reap the fruit of circumstances. Does that kind of make sense? In a very short summary. Let me go back to Luke. And the devil, verse 3, said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God. That's not what God said. Satan repeats the words of Father, but he doesn't repeat the words of Father. He repeats some of the words of Father. Because what Father actually said is not, you are my son. He said, you are my beloved son. Satan knew that if he said to Christ, if you are the beloved son of God, it was lost anyway. (laughs) As soon as you know you're beloved, as soon as you remember that you're loved, the battle is over. You can walk through any lonely place for, for any ongoing season. Honestly, for me, walking through this, uh, the only thing that's kept me there is knowing that I'm loved. That just because I'm walking through hard things is not because I'm a bad person. I haven't lost his favor. I haven't entered it through rejection. And, and so often, what happens when we walk through a difficult space is we actually reject the love of God and we reject the love of people. And then we say, why doesn't God love me and why don't people love me? I a number of years ago. Um, tell me if I've shared this here, because I once again I can't remember. Um, when Bex and I got married, um, we really sought. No, that's not true. <laughs> she really sought the Lord about using contraception. I think I probably just really wanted to have sex. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. <laughs> But Bex sought the Lord. (laughs) Blame the jet lag for that one. Bex sought the Lord. And she came to me one day and she said, Hey, um, I really don't feel like we're supposed to use contraception. It's not saying that contraception is bad. It's just that that's what we felt like God was inviting us to. And she said, I feel like we've said to the Lord we gave him our life. And if we use contraception, we're taking back a huge part of our life as to when we, we will or won't have children. And she said, just believe that that the Lord is asking us to trust him. Can you pray about it? And I did, and I really felt like it was right. And so that's what we did. I felt like God was saying, hey, that's cool. Don't use contraception. So we didn't. And uh, we married for a year. That was cool. It was fun. Lots was going on. Two years, we're kind of like, not not pregnant yet. Three years, what's going on? A little bit of fear snuck in, and we went and got tested. And everything was fine. Um, Bex had had, um, thank you, endometriosis. Uh, and had had surgery for it. And they actually went in and, and did a second surgery because they thought maybe to grow them back. And the comment from the surgeon that went in said, you have the most healthy-looking womb I've ever seen in my entire career. They went in expecting to find a whole lot more, and they just found this pristine womb. So uh, we got tested. I, I don't know if it was out of fear or him, but, but anyway, everything was fine. There was no reason why we weren't pregnant. And they were at a conference. And um, it was a conference we'd never been to before. And 
people didn't know us. Nobody knew us there. They didn't know really who we were, how long we'd been married. They didn't, they didn't know anything. We were completely new people. And we'd been there for a couple of days, and there was a, a night of ministry and prayer, and we're worshiping the Lord, and a, a young woman comes up to us and says, can I pray for you? And we say, sure. And she says, it's really personal. And we say, that's okay. And she says, can I just go for it? And we're like, yeah. Because what we do is as you're praying, we're listening for the substance of Father. And whatever is aligned to who he is, we will receive. And anything that's not, we'll just pop on the shelf to take to him later. So your words can't harm me. He has my heart. If you came up to me afterwards and you're like, that's such a rubbish message. I got nothing. I don't think you should ever preach again in your life. Your words wouldn't hurt me. Because I would run to my father who defines me, who tells me who I am, who has my heart. The only way your words can hurt me is if pride has some of my heart and I want your approval. I would listen to you because I'm humble to the voice of the body. But I would take your words to Father and say, Father, was that true? Like, reveal it to me, King, because I, I, I want to bless you. I, wanna, I want your kids to be blessed. But it wouldn't hurt me. Make sense? So she starts praying. And the first thing she does is she lays her hand straight on Bex's tummy and she starts praying for life. Life, 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 life. Declaring life. And, and we're just like, wow, it felt like God. Not, not, not just felt like God. It was the substance of who he is. And then she stops praying mid-sentence. And we open our eyes and she's got tears streaming down her face. And she blurts out, God's got a son for you. He's not for later. He's for now. But you're going to have to fight for him. And then she ran out of the room and we didn't see her again. <laughs> Bawling her eyes out and she runs. And I look at Bex and Bex looks at me and, and, and we're like, I think that was God. I'm okay if it wasn't, but I think it was. And Bex looks at me and she's like, should we go get a pregnancy test? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So we left the meeting. We're so unholy. And uh, went and found an all-night pharmacy, got a pregnancy test, and we were pregnant. Can you imagine having a pregnancy announced to you like that? Like, that's pretty awesome. No one knows us. No one knows anything. Boom. And so we were just like, wow, this is incredible. And... Uh, we had an amazing few weeks, and it was so fun. And I mean, some of you know what it's like. The dreams start going, and the directions start going. And we spent a lot of time really seeking the Lord for who this child was going to be. And we asked the Lord to name him, and we asked the Lord to reveal who he was going to be. And the Lord said that he was to be called Josiah, and he was going to um, turn the hearts of the people back to the Father, that he was going to tear down idols and establish altars of worship. And we wrote these things on our wall, and we just pray over them. And then uh, a few weeks in, Bex had a small bleed, and we went to the ER, and they said, it's no problem. It's, it's very common. Uh, went back home. A few days later, she had a much bigger bleed. We went to the ER, and uh, they said, looks like you're having a miscarriage. Um, but we had a word. God's got a son for you. He's not for later. He's for now. But you're going to have to fight for him. And um, so we fought. <laughs> we fought with everything we had. I, is David Huntley here? Is he still around? No? Yeah, okay. Because um, we ran into him there, and he was working uh, at a, uh, he's a, an Ambo guy, and, and was, I just wanted to thank him because he really blessed us. I don't think I ever did. Anyway, um, the doctors came to us and said, hey, you're having a miscarriage, and, and we just, 
we honoured them and we respected them because it takes a heck of a lot of hard work to stand where they stand. Just because you carry a kingdom principle within you that you believe to be different to the person standing in front of you, don't dishonour them for what they're saying to you. The standard of Christ is to be contended for in the body. How the heck can somebody out there live in the standard of Christ when they haven't received the very grace that makes the standard attainable? Don't expect the government of New Zealand to walk in kingdom ways. Pray for it. Ask God to pour his spirit out in such a way that people turn to him, and then we do, absolutely. But don't judge out there. Establish the standard of Christ in here. So this guy comes to me, and, and you know, he tells me something, and I honored him. I said, thank you so much, and, and we appreciate you. And you know, I asked him how long he'd been working, and he told me, and I just said, thank you. And he just looked at me, and he said, what you guys are going through, and you said, thank you. Um, really blessed his heart. Yay, Jesus. And then he left, and we're like, we don't accept that. We pray. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, and we put our hands on Bex's tummy, and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and there's more tests, and yep, you've had a miscarriage, and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and Bex gets taken up to a different ward to spend the night, and, you know, there's things, there's life flowing out of her in a bad way, and we pray, 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 and it was like that for a week. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, believing that God was going to do something supernatural because he asked us to fight. Uh, and then after a week, <laughs> I ran out of faith. I'd exhausted everything in the bank. And um, I was supposed to be speaking. I can't remember what, it was a service here. And uh, that day I was supposed to be speaking and I woke up and I, I was just, I was angry and I was hurt and I was broken. <laughs> and um, I, I went to reach for my phone to pick up the phone to call Greg, to say, Greg, you've got to preach this morning. I can't do this. Like, I'm angry. I'm so angry at God. I can't preach. And I literally went to move my arm and I could not move it. I couldn't get the phone. (laughs) And I had just enough integrity left, just enough remembrance of his love to go, okay, God. And I went for a walk up in Fittedale Park behind our house. And it was a horrible day (laughs) because it's Wellington. (laughs) It's really sunny where we are. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, And I went for a walk and it's pouring with rain and it's horribly, horribly windy. And I have no idea where the words came from, but I'm walking and all of a sudden I screamed at the Lord. I feel like I'm a dinner plate and you held me out in the end of your hands and you dropped me and I hit the ground and I'm not just shattered pieces. I'm scattered, shattered pieces. What do I do with my life now? I screamed it at him. I felt like I was looking at everything all of me that I'd invested in God, and it was shattered and scattered, and I had no hope of putting it back together again. And now I understand the still small voice of the Lord because he spoke to me in the still small voice, and the still small voice was opposite to everything else that was going on. I was raging, the weather was raging, and this little still small voice. He said to me, I am the potter. You are the clay. Clay is only useful to a potter when it's soft, If you drop a lump of clay, it does have some impact on it, but it doesn't shatter and it doesn't scatter. My son, you wouldn't be so broken if your heart wasn't so hard. But there's something you have to understand. If my wife had have said that to me, I would have been broken, broken, broken beyond redemption. But the voice of the Lord speaks with such perfect love. Nothing but love. All I felt in that moment was love. I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel attacked. 
I felt like the Lord was revealing something about the state of my heart. I don't believe God caused a miscarriage. That's, that's messed up. I still don't know how that all played out. But I have discovered that the longer you're willing to leave an unanswered question before the Lord, the greater the depth of revelation will be over time as he ministers truth into it. So I haven't taken the question away and I don't fully understand it. But what I do know is that as Satan was saying, if you are the son of God, raise that child from the dead, the scream in my heart became, it doesn't matter, I'm beloved. And it was only that that kept me going. And I came here and I preached and... (laughs) I don't know how, I don't know what. But the only thing that kept me walking through that was the fact that he loves me. And in that moment, despite all that was going on, I was able to say, I am beloved. Final thought. Come on, to Matthew something. Matthew 20, verse 29. And Lord, we just ask for the revelation also that Manchester United is the only football team in heaven. <laughs> I'm only here for seven days. I've got to get a few in. 2029. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. Two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Um, It's no secret that the last few years have been pretty hard for us. Uh, Kirk and Mel came to see us, uh, which was so fun and such a blessing. And uh, I'm sure they didn't tell you because they love us and they're so gracious. But, you know, if any of you said, hey, how are Johnny and Bex? Their honest answer would have been, they're really bad and they don't really know what God's doing, and there's a lot of stuff coming from their heart, and we don't really know what's of God and what's not, but we still love them, so we'll talk nicely about them. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Love you. But it's been really hard. And we entered a new space geographically, but nothing changed. Just because you change this doesn't change this. It might change your emotional experience of this, and therefore you're deceived into thinking that it's better. But the nature of Christ within you in that area hasn't been revealed, and so when you encounter the same thing, you end up in exactly the same place because you changed that, not this. So we entered a new space, but nothing had changed. And I, uh, it was the first time that I'd really... Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd tried everything. You know, this, this is the thing you have to understand. I believe in the principle of giving thanks, but what, what do you do when you've given thanks for three years and nothing's changed and you don't have any thanks left to give? What do you do? I believe in serving, but what do you do when you've served for three years and you've given everything you have to do and it's broken you to such a point that you, you, don't, you don't even really know how you're going to walk another minute? What do you do? What do you do when you're hanging on a cross? Because even Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And show me a principle in here that when you're hanging on a cross saying, why have you forsaken me, that will overcome that. I don't know one. Do you? Anybody? So what do you do? 
And for the first time in so long, the Lord whispered to my heart, start reading Matthew. And I started working my way through Matthew. And I hadn't even really been reading that because I believe if... There's such a struggle between what's grace and what's discipline. Do you find that struggle? Because both are right. But I've discovered that the way it has to work, I was in the States and a youth pastor, great guy, wonderful guy, said to me, I want my life to be more surrendered. How do I do it? And I just looked at him and said, who do you want to get the glory for your surrender? You can't do anything to surrender yourself more if you want the Lord to get the glory for your surrender. Because if you do it, it's unto you. This is one of the biggest things the Lonely Place taught me, is that when we were here at The Rock, we had a very public life. And I, I had a very private walk with God. It was very authentic and very real. And I thought that the private walk with the Lord was upholding the public walk with the Lord. Make sense? Everything that was genuine and real in my heart and, and when it was just me and him was upholding everything that was happening here. And then he pulled us out of here and he took us to Africa and none of this existed. And do you know what happened? Most of the things I did in the private place, I didn't do anymore. And I discovered that actually what was true is that the public place was upholding the private. In other words, I wanted the affirmation and the pride wanted the affirmation of the people. And so I would go to the private place with God to get something good to try and deceive, not try and deceive people because I love you and I do love you and I was doing my very best with what I had. But I would go to the private place to have something here so that you would applaud me so I'd feel good about me and God. And then when he took me out of there, I didn't do most of these things anymore. And I went, ooh. And this is why you have to be willing to walk through the lonely place because it's one of the only places that will truly reveal what you do unto God and what you do unto man. And so I'm in this place and I've done everything I know to do and nothing's changed. And God says, start reading Matthew. And I start to understand that the relationship between grace and discipline is that God pours grace out for something and we experience it normally in a large and wonderful way. Out of adoration and response to what he's poured out, we discipline ourselves to continue feeding off what it is he's done. The discipline, can I just, that? the discipline, can we just swap norms? Is that right? This is just falling off. I'm uh, being too aggressive. Should be good. Check. Do, 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 do. Check, do, check, do. There we go. The, the place of the discipline is that we add it to the grace that he's poured out in response to the grace he's poured out. And therefore, as we engage in it, because it came from him in the first place, even in the context of our discipline, it still glorifies him. And there hadn't been a grace to read this. The principle that I live with with regards to this is that I sit with him, the one who is the word, capital W, every day until I receive revelation. That's the principle I live by. But if there's no grace being poured out, the principle will yield me nothing. So I hadn't even been in here. I'd still been loving him. Because if there's not grace poured out for that, there's grace being poured out for something else. Make sense? Find where the grace is. And, and so he said, read Matthew. And I started working my way and I came to this. And I read, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And this word mercy just flew off the page and sat in the eyes of my heart right here. And I had this sudden revelation that I had asked for help so many times over the last four years, but I had never once asked for mercy. There's a difference between asking for help and mercy. Mercy. 
You can ask for help from pride because you believe you deserve it. Um, Let's say you break your leg, you go down to Wellington Hospital, you ask for help. If they don't treat you well, what would most of us do? Complain. Why? Because we believe we're worthy of the help. That's not how it works with the Lord. Are you a beautiful created child of the king? Absolutely. Are you stunning and you carry the workmanship of God? Absolutely. Do you deserve the help of God? Do I deserve the help of God? No. In his grace, he's granted mercy, undeserved favor and intimacy with him. And I sat in the chair I was sitting in and I went, Lord, I repented of just asking for help and I cried out for mercy and everything changed in a moment. What I mean by that is nothing changed here and everything changed here. And we have this incredible discomfort with mercy. The Western world doesn't like mercy. That's why those who led the way told them to be quiet. If you turn to that in a different, I think it's in... Luke, perhaps, it says those that were leading the way, those that were leading Jesus along the road, the religious authorities told the men that were shouting out for mercy to be quiet. Why? The religious, author- the religious place, the place of this false engaging with God will always condemn mercy because mercy tears down that which has been built in human strength. Always. And I sat there and I cried out for mercy and everything changed. The other thing about being comfortable with mercy is that Satan comes to you and he stands in front of you and he whispers into your ear, Johnny, coming to the rock, you wanted the approval of the rock. And I stand and I put my arms out and I say, I know I need mercy. And the accusation of the enemy becomes a cry of praise unto the king because I'm not trying to perform anymore. I know my need for mercy. You know, there's the scripture where Elijah raises a boy from the dead and he lies down over the, the, the boy and he stretches himself out over the boy and it's face to face and chest to chest and legs to legs and feet to feet. It's eyes to eyes and nose to nose and breath to breath and heart to heart. If Christ is not lying down on me, I'm done. There's nothing. But we don't want mercy because it's, it, it, it requires a laying down of self and it's so uncomfortable because so much of the world and the Christian world is screaming for us to become something that everybody can see and everybody can applaud. And I don't want to be something anymore. It broke me trying to be something. I just want to love him. I want to become like him. You know, what, what we feel called to build, I don't, I don't care if it ends up being thousands and thousands of children or if it's taking one or two more into my home. I don't care. The world will look at it and say one is more significant than the other. But it's, it's not if you build the big thing in the strength of flesh. It's not. It'll burn. <laughs> so it's praying to the Lord and saying, God, what, what, what do you want to do this morning? And I found a couple of things. One, I would love to, um, you know that scripture in Revelation, it says the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. What I have walked through, it's not the story of Johnny. Because if God had have shown me what it was going to be like, I never would have said yes. 
I never would. I'm not that good of a person. I wish I loved him enough. But if God had shown me the cross that I was going to endure, I would have gone over here. And so it's not the testimony of Johnny, it's actually the testimony of Jesus. And I believe what that scripture is saying is that each one of us carry a testimony of Christ for things we've walked through. And the testimony of Christ that we have walked through is the spirit of prophecy. And you can prophesy it out over any heart that wants it in the substance of Christ in such a way that my brother can receive, if God's anointing it and gracing it, he can receive the fruit of my struggle without going through the struggle. Or it means someone who is going through the struggle can receive the grace to be carried through by God. And uh, if there's no one, that's okay. Because like I said, what I'll do this afternoon is just go and sit with my king daddy and say, Papa, did I say everything you wanted me to say and nothing that you didn't? And he'll say no and, and take me to school a little bit and that's okay. But I don't mind if, if, if nobody comes forward because that's not the measure. But what I do want to do is give an opportunity for anybody that feels not Listen, not because you want it. One of the things surprise um, Satoli, he's the international director for Iris, one of the things he says, which I love, is he says, if God's not touching you, reach, down, reach up and touch him. And there's a place for that. But there's also a place to recognize that if God's not touching you, you might just need to stay and wait until you are clothed from on high with power. <laughs> you can do all the reaching in the world and it's not going to do you any good. And it's only intimacy with God that can lead you into which one it is. So what I'd love to do is give a space if there's anybody. One, you're walking through a lonely place uh, and you're broken and you're hurt. And I know what that's like and I would love to minister grace to you. Uh, the second thing I would love to do is give an opportunity for anyone who sits here and goes, you know what, I, I've never asked for mercy. Like pride uh, is this thing within me. And the prayer I pray the most often, it's really simple. God reveal my heart and God reveal yours because I don't know my heart until he reveals it to me. And so if you've never asked for mercy, I would love to minister to you. And if there's no one, that's okay. We can have lots of hugs and go home and eat and Vana can sleep. You've done so well. <laughs> uh, so let's just have a moment and just ask Holy Spirit. I don't, I just want this time to be him led. And if he's not asking you to, or inviting you to come to the front, why would you respond to me? So just ask Holy Spirit, is this something that you want me to walk through? Is this something you want me to step into? And if it is, I would love to pray for you. If it's not, we can, uh, we can all head off. Worship team, if you want to come, that's cool. If you don't want to come, that's cool. Just ask Holy Spirit what to do because it's not a performance or a program. So just ask him.